Father, we give you praise, and we want to continue that praise in how we respond to your word. We want to continue worshiping by uh, looking at it and seeing what it says and bowing our hearts and submitting ourselves to it. So would you please help us do that? Would you please uh, break any hard areas of our hearts down, and would you uh, please encourage us in the places we need the encouragement Would you do and say whatever you want this morning, Lord Jesus? It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we are on the the last stretch of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, getting close to the end. And so... um, been a fun series, it's been challenging, and this morning is no different. Uh, now, if you're using notes, the notes in your bulletins, uh, and I want to say this for you too, Jim, uh, doing slides, uh, you've got your, the main points on the front and the applications on the back. I'm probably going to refer to the applications during the whole thing. I'm probably not going to save it for the end. So, Jim, if you're ready, I always joke with Jim because some, some of my outlines are a little complex to put up on the screens, but he's always equal to the task, so... I think today will be no different. But I may jump into application in the middle of it all. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll just make sure I say that when I do it. Okay, so today, uh, there, there's an accusation that gets thrown out a lot at the church, at Christians. And the accusation goes something like this. You Christians are so judgmental. You're judging this, you're judging that, you're telling me I'm sinning here and sinning there. Uh, That's just what you do. Didn't Jesus tell you not to judge people? And, and when I hear that, sometimes it kind of hits me and I'm going, well, it kind of it knocks the wind out of you because it's like, well, Jesus did tell us not to judge. And that's the passage we're looking at today. We're not supposed to judge people, and yet somehow I've got to talk to people about sin and so how, how do I even answer that, that accusation that, that you're so judgmental and, and your own Savior, your own Lord and Master told you not to be that way? Don't judge. So what are you doing? And I just want to look at this passage and I want to ask this passage, Matthew 7, I want to ask it that question. What am I supposed to do when it comes to moral judgments? How am I supposed to do that without judging? How do I judge without judging? Okay, that, that's the question I'd like to answer. And I think this passage, again, you're going to look at it and go, it, it becomes very clear when you dig in. And so I want to take a look at Matthew chapter 7. So go there, please, if you haven't already. It goes like this. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, It will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give the dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Okay. So my answer, and I believe Jesus' answer, and I want to defend it in a minute, but I'm going to say 
I believe the answer to the accusation is this. Jesus commanded his followers not to sinfully judge other people. Not to sinfully judge other people, which is to say, don't have a judgmental attitude. I I think what Jesus is going for here is, it it really starts in the heart. It's how you talk about it. It's how you do it. There's a sinful judging and a non-sinful judging. And I want to talk about what that looks like and defend it. But I'm saying to make a moral judgment is not sinful. But there is a way to make a moral judgment that is sinful, and that has mostly to do with your heart. What's going on in your heart? And that's when we cross the line. Now, let's defend it from the passage and see if this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. Evidence then. Uh, So we're looking at verse 1. And verse 1, Jesus says the famous words, and these are the ones that are often quoted at Christians and said, Jesus told you not to judge. Judge not or you too will be judged. So if, if you take that statement and just kind of dig in a little bit, here's a few thoughts. You will be judged. Who's going to judge you when you judge other people? Well, based on verse 2, that says, with whatever you measure will be measured back to you, that I think the idea is that God is going to be your judge. And in fact, we can even get more specifics if we talked about the Trinity this morning. Jesus is going to be the judge. And so, Jesus will judge you, and especially based on if you judge other people. So, what kind of judging are we talking about exactly? Well, for Christians, there's at least three different kinds of judgments for Christians. Okay, so this is going to be fun, right? Three judgments. One is the famous uh, sheep and goats judgment. It's, it's when Jesus will separate the sheep that belong to him and the goats that will be eternally separated from God in hell. The sheep are with him forever because he's the good shepherd. So that's a judgment. And, we, and when we talk about being saved, I'm a Christian, I'm saved. What we mean is I'm saved from that judgment, I'm, I'm a sheep now. He moved me into the category of sheep. I'm not a goat. And so I'm going to be with Christ forever. So, so if you're a believer in Christ, that judgment will go well with you, bottom line. You're saved. There's another kind of judging, and that is um, earthly judgment. We, we, we often call this discipline, God's discipline. In other words, the writer of Hebrews says, if God is our Father then he's going to discipline us. Uh, remember in uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about, he says, when, when you take communion, there's all these fights and quarrels and people trying to go first, and there's not enough for everybody else. And he says, you know, this, is, this isn't right. And, and he says, that's why some of you are sick and some of you have fallen asleep. Meaning you died. Meaning that God looked at the Corinthian church and said, I don't like the fact that you're fighting over communion. You're getting drunk on the wine. You're, you know, why are you, you're not saving any for the poor people. You're going to get sick and you're going to die. That's a judgment. Okay. That's God saying, I don't like what you're doing. And this is what's going to happen to you. You can call it discipline in the book of Hebrews, or you could call it a judgment of God. You're not going to hell because of it, but, but God's giving you a consequence for what you've done. That there's earthly judgments. 
And then lastly, and uh, I believe Eric read this in the Romans passage earlier, which is wonderful that you read this for me. Um, there's the judgment seat of Christ, where we have to give an account for what we've done with our life. And you get to answer for the things that you've done. Now, it doesn't mean you're not forgiven. You are forgiven. You know, it's, it's going to go well for you in the end, but you still have to give an account for every careless word. You have to give an account for what you've done with your life. That, that's throughout the New Testament. There's an accounting. Even though we know we're forgiven, there's an account. Now, when you judge other people, if, if we take those two words, judge, in verse 1, now I know how God judges Christians. I'm doing God's job for Him when I judge people. Okay, you see, see the connection there? Judge not, or you will be judged. And this is the idea, I believe. There's an arrogant seizing of God's power and God's right to judge. I want to be the superior here. I want to issue judgment on my neighbors or people in the church. I want to be in that role as God. I'm going to be even the accuser. We know our accuser is Satan, and sometimes we like to take his job too and accuse other people. What got Satan kicked out of heaven? Pride. Wanting to be God. And so... When we feel like we're superior to other people, which, by the way, is a heart attitude, arrogance, pride, superiority, it's a deadly, deadly sin, and yet it's not something that you can say, well, I did pride today, you know, I did arrogance. You know, it's something that comes out of the heart. And so when you judge people, God will bring you to judgment for the arrogance of taking his place. You stepped into his role and said, they deserve to die. Or they deserve some heavy-duty consequences. So says Pastor Nile. You know? No! That's not my role. That's not my job. I know, I know the church needs to be disciplined, but I'm not the one to issue that. That's not my job. It's not my role. I'm not superior to anyone in this room. And so when we take God's place, he says, you're arrogant, you're prideful, and I'm going to make you account for that. How dare you take my place? So judge not, lest you be judged. Now, uh, the other part of this that I, that I want to just bring out here, um, Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden, had to make a moral judgment, right? Do we eat from that tree or do we not? Do we, do we enjoy all of the other trees that God has given us? Or do we eat the fruit of that tree of knowledge of good and evil? They had to make a moral judgment. In other words, part of being made in the image of God, part of being made a human being and not an animal, is the ability to have moral reasoning. So if you were to actually stop judging completely, you'd stop acting like a human. I mean, understand that. God made you to look at things and say, that's right and that's wrong. To even look at people's actions and say, that's right and that's wrong. God made us that way and it's good. It's good. He made Adam and Eve that way. The problem is, when they ate from the tree, what they were saying to God is, we want the knowledge of good and evil. We want to determine what is right and wrong for ourselves. Which is what we still do today. In this country, we'll determine the rights and the wrongs. 
not the Lord. It's the same struggle going back to the Garden of Eden. So, again, if you were to stop making moral judgments, you couldn't call a thief a thief or a liar a liar. You couldn't deal with murders. You couldn't deal with gossip. You couldn't deal with anything because you wouldn't be judging. To be human is to make moral judgments. But don't take God's spot as the judge. Don't be arrogant. Okay, so there, there's the first word there. The second word, oh, let's make an application, if we can jump down on the back side of your paper. Okay? The back side of your paper, number one, application number one. As a church, we've got to call sin, sin. Or else we risk pollution by the world. You've you got to call sin, sin. Or else, you know, James says, pure religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. One of the main jobs of our faith in Christ is, I don't want to be polluted by the world. I don't want the world to influence my moral judgments. I want the Spirit to do that. I want the Word of God to do that, not the world. They're going to make wrong judgments. I want to make the right ones. Jesus said on two different occasions, judge correctly, judge with righteousness. He told people to judge in a correct way. We have to do that. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the church needs to judge itself. If we don't do that, if we stop calling wrong things wrong, people start believing they're not wrong anymore. If we don't look at the Word of God and say, Thus saith the Lord, we start to think things are okay. Our kids start to think things are okay. Now, our kids can also pick up on when we're arrogant about it, you know, that one sin that Dad always talks about, you know, that he's always harping on, that one thing that he always says, Oh, they, God should just, you know, get them. Kids can pick up on arrogance, too. God can do it better. But we have to call sin, sin. Otherwise, we're going to be in a load of sin. Okay. Uh, secondly, uh, the second verse Jesus is talking about here is, uh, I love this one. I need, I need, a, I need a, a prop, my prop for this. Give me one second. All right. All right. So, verse 2 says, With whatever measure you measure people, it will be measured back to you. And in whatever way you judge others, you will be judged. So, measuring means judging. And I think this is the idea. You know, I'm, I'm using a measurement on you. Uh, you come out to be a liar. You come out to be a thief. And we do this to people. We measure them and say, I, I know who you are. I know who you are. And then we issue the label. We issue the judgment. We're a labeling kind of people. I mean, the media helps us do this too. You know, you've seen the media crucify people that are repentant of their sin. You know, they'll be labeled that forever because they did that, even if they're sorry. It's just human nature. We do this. We, we measure and you're forever that way. Or we do this. Someone says something and we assume we know their motives. Or you did this, and I know why you did this. 
I know why you dropped that dinner off at my house. You just wanted to see my house. Yep, yep. That's a pastoral one, by the way. <laughs> okay. Um, we, we, we just fill in the blanks. Whatever that blank is, we can fill it in, you know. And we do this with everybody. We, we, we assume motives. And we cross the line and we've taken measurement. Did you hear them tell that story about themselves? They're full of pride. When Jesus says, whatever measure you use, it'll be measured back to you, he's not saying stop measuring, stop judging. He's not saying don't do that at all because we have to be able to look someone in the eye and say, I love you, brother, but this is, this is bad. You've got to stop doing this. We've got to be able to say that to people. And that requires measuring. But we need to measure graciously. And that's number two. We need to measure with grace. Because Jesus says, whatever measure you give is what you're going to receive. What kind of measure do you want God to give you on Judgment Day? You know? What kind of measure do you want? Do you want him to hold you accountable for every sin and make you pay for them all? Is that, I mean, is that what you want? Do you want him to be, do you want God to look at your good works and for everyone say, well, I know you served here because of this reason, or, or to use the example of the weekend, I know you came to the church work day on Saturday, whoops, step down, I know you came to the church work day on Saturday because you really wanted the ice cream afterwards, you know. <laughs> this is, what if, what if everything we did was second-guessed? What if everything we did was second-guessed? The idea is, let's measure generously and graciously, you know? I, I am 5'9 and a half, but you better believe I tell people I'm 5'10. I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And if I'm having a really bad hair day, it could be 5'11, you know? Is that you? Did you whistle? For, who did that? <laughs> I've got stature. I've got stature. Um, that this is what we want. We want people to measure us with generosity. Don't assume the worst of me. Because I don't want God to assume the worst of me on judgment. I want him to treat me generously and graciously. Uh, can we pull up the Ken Sandy quote here? This is a really helpful quote from the Peacemaker. It was that big text. It should be underneath number two. You see it? There it is. Uh, Ken Sandy talks about when do we cross the line in our judgments of other people. And uh, here's what he says. We cross the line when we begin to sinfully judge others, which is characterized by a feeling of superiority, indignation, condemnation, bitterness, or resentment. Sinful judging often involves speculating other people's motives. Most of all, it reveals the absence of a genuine love and concern towards them. When these attitudes are present, our judging has crossed the line and we are playing God. I've noticed, this is a usually. If I sit down with somebody and I have to talk about their sin, and then I have to, I have to do this with the Word of God, they are much more likely to hear me out if I express my love for them. But if I'm just mad, or if I just... If I come across as cold, they're much less likely to receive that hard word from me. And so I guess the question is, 
how often should you be mad in your judgments? Or to turn to application number two on the back of your paper, we are not the sin police, okay? We're not the sin police. So be generous in your judgments. First time I ever got pulled over in Wisconsin, it was within six months of moving here. I was in Amro, Wisconsin, by Oshkosh. And I, it was at night, and I was trying to find my way through Amro, which shouldn't have been hard. It's a small town, <laughs> okay? But I just drove right through a stop sign. They didn't even see it. I was on a side road, and I was turned around. I don't know what I did. But I didn't see the stop sign. There was no illumination that I could really see, and whatever. I, I, I missed it, and I blew it. And I was, go, I was driving super slow. I mean, I was creeping through the stop sign trying to figure out which way to turn. But, of course, there was a police officer there watching me do this, and he pulled me over, and I just moved from Illinois, so I still had Illinois license plates. Da, da, da. <laughs> And the kind officer came to my window and said, I don't know about you Illinois folk, but in Wisconsin we obey our stop signs. I, I didn't care for that guy. If he would have come to me and said, uh, look, the department really needs money this year. <laughs> I mean, I've got to give you this ticket. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I don't know. They wouldn't say that. They wouldn't say that. But if they would have come to me in a different way and said, yeah, I saw that you did. you're from Illinois. Clearly you were clueless, whatever. It would have been a little bit a little easier to, to manage. But when you start saying that us Illinois people don't care about stop signs, you know, I got to wonder. Um, it all depends on how you approach the person. And, and a way to not sinfully judge is to talk to someone in a kind and gentle way. How often should you really be angry when you issue your judgments? Probably not very often. Not very often. I'm not saying it's impossible to have righteous indignation, but I happen to think that when Jesus turned the tables over in the temple, he's God, you know? Can he have righteous indignation? Sure, most of the time that's probably not going to be me. Because if I get angry at someone's sin, the walls go up. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not saying it's always wrong. I'm saying usually my indignation it doesn't carry off in a, in a gracious way to other people. So, so please, tell me that I'm 5'10", and let's get along while here, okay? And I'm 5'11 on some crazy hair mornings. Okay. Uh, next, verses. So, secondly, you know, really what we're saying is measuring means we had to measure with grace. We still have judgments, though. We still call sin, sin. All right. Did I do the application there? Yeah, you're not the sin police. Okay. Number three. Uh, let's read that again. This is the famous part, you know. Uh, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Which just goes to show that Jesus has a sense of humor. And if you don't believe that, this is what he's saying. Christy, whap. 
you, you, you've got a speck in your eye. You've got a little splinter. Can I, can I help you take that out, please? <laughs> Andrew? <laughs> You're preaching two Sundays ago. It just wasn't up to snuff. <laughs> Whap. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's comical. It's ridiculous. It's absurd. Because you can't help anyone with this sticking out of your face. And, and to say, you got this little, this little splinter in your eye, that, that's a problem, you know? Well, number three goes like this. Number three goes like this. If you're going to call a splinter a splinter, you, you still have to make a moral judgment, okay? It, if there is a splinter in somebody's eye, that's a foreign object and it needs to be removed. Right? Any of you leave stuff in your eyes all the time besides your contacts? You know? You ever get a little piece of dust or dirt in your eye, you know, and it just drives you crazy, you flush it out? This is still a problem. But this is a big problem and you're not going to help anybody by doing this. So, again, Jesus, you're telling me I do need to help my brother with the speck, with the splinter. I do need to make a judgment about that and talk to the person about that. But work on this first. And, and, and take it this way. Let's go to application number three. Jesus says two things here. He says, um, you don't notice this thing coming out of your eye? You need to look at your own sin first, right? That, I mean, that's the point. I would call it this. You need to be meek. Be meek. Meek people are humble they're gentle, and they know that they're sinners. They know it. They see it. Prideful people don't see it. And you need to be repentant. You need to remove this thing first. Because you can't help someone otherwise. You know, Helpful Christians are meek and repentant. In other words, if you've got some big sin issues in your own life, and you're not repenting of them, don't worry about this thing in your brother's eye. Don't worry about it. Just leave it alone. Don't worry about it. You've got a major problem on your own hands. You ought to go to a brother and sister and say, would you help me remove the plank? Please. Because I'm no good to anybody, not even myself, not even my family, if this thing is sticking out of my eye. Derek, whap, didn't make your bed today. You're no use to anybody. So some of you that have been issuing judgments about people and telling them you've been the sin police and said you did this and you did that and you need to stop doing that, you just need to be quiet because this is, this is a problem for you. And you might say, well, Niall, are you telling me that I can never talk about sin if I'm not perfect? No, I'm not saying that. I just said repentant. Be repentant. If you're not dealing with your own sin and getting help with that, don't help other people with theirs. Stop. Realize your hypocrisy and deal with yourself. The problem is when you try to help people with a plank sticking out of your eye, not only do you offend them and hurt them and whap them upside the head, you're also being more hypocritical, which is making that sin go deeper and deeper into your life. 
you're driving, to use a, a terrible picturesque view, version of this, you're driving the plank deeper and deeper into your own face. You know, it's like, it's getting worse for you. So deal with it. <clears throat> Again, when I talk to people about sin, I find it's very helpful to sometimes even share where I've fallen short. People can hear you then. People can receive you then. When you start talking about your plank, I can identify now. But when you come at me in self-righteousness, indignation, it's hard to hear that. Even if it's true, it's hard to hear it. Okay. By the way, uh, the Apostle Paul did this. I'll just, just make a mention. He did call himself the chief of sinners, you know. He seemed to think his sin was the worst. Do you think your sin is the worst? Whose sin bothers you more, theirs or yours? And that will tell you where your heart is at. That's just a good little test to take. Whose sin bothers me the most, people in this church or mine? And if it's not mine, I better be very careful. Okay. Let's do this. Uh, now, I know this last part, we have about seven minutes left, so there's a lot here on this last one, but let's do our best here because this is, again, it's brilliant. Some scholars look at verse 6 and go, I don't know what to do with it, so I think this is a separate saying of Jesus. Like, let's just kind of take it away from everything he said and, like, leave it by itself. I don't think that's smart at all. I, he, he's, he's preaching this sermon. He's giving it to the people. It's all connected. Okay. He says, don't give dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. First of all, what is a dog and a, or what are the pearls? Let's do the pearls first. What are these holy pearls that um, we're talking about this morning? Well, Jesus told a parable about pearls. Do we have that to go on the back? Matthew thirteen forty-five. Hopefully I gave you that. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. Pigs don't treat pearls well. Dogs don't treat pearls well. I mean, it, they might think it's something to eat, and they put it in their mouth, and then they'd spit it out. So when we're talking about pearls, we're talking about truths of the kingdom of God. We're talking about the gospel. How are you saved? Well, Jesus died on the cross for you. He loves you. He wants to forgive you of your sins, but you are a sinner. There's bad news here. You're a sinner, but Jesus died for you. Holy pearls refer to the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, who are the dogs and the pigs? All right? Who are the dogs and the pigs? Um... Dogs and pigs are wild, unclean animals, referring to people that have treated the gospel with contempt. Can we do Revelation 22:15? Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Um, there's some other verses I'm not going to give you this morning, but I want to I summarize this and say, dogs and pigs take the gospel and, and, and they scorn it. They treat it with contempt. 
You ever talk to someone about Jesus and they just have the most disturbing and disgusting things to say about the person that you love as Savior? You ever heard somebody say, I'll just give you just a really practical example. You ever heard someone say that when the Father sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross, that it was a cosmic form of child abuse? You ever heard that one? Dogs. Dogs, the people that say that. Pigs. People that trample the gospel and scorn it. People that say you Christians have a bunch of made-up fairy tales about a God in the sky. Pigs. Jesus says, don't give those people the gospel. Whoa, okay. Um, How did Jesus do that, by the way? Uh, Let's look at how Jesus practiced his own teaching. Matthew 15, 14. Uh, Jesus says, leave the Pharisees, they're blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. If you come from a church that is led by blind people, if you're in, like, like, like if your home church, maybe you're here for the summer, if your home church is not a gospel-preaching church that Jesus alone saves, then you're at a church that's a blind guide. And either you can stay and try to reform it, which might be very noble and might be what God's calling you to do, or you might take this verse seriously here and say, I'm out of here, because you're leading blind people into a pit. There's only one gospel All else are anathema, according to Paul, eternally cursed. Leave the blind guides. Okay? So so there's one way Jesus applied it. Uh, Matthew, let's do the next one. Uh, Matthew 10, 14. Jesus sent his disciples out and he says, If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. There are some people that will not receive the gospel. They're against it. And Jesus says, don't waste any more time. They're against it. Shake the dust off your feet. Does that mean you can't keep praying for them? Sure. Does that mean everyone that says no to the gospel, you should do this too? I'm not saying that. I'm not, tell, I'm not saying that if, if you go over to your neighbor's house and, and share Jesus and they say, I don't know, well, let me take my shoes off, you know. You know. First of all, they're going to go, what in the world are you doing? Oh, let me do it over your food. Do you understand that? You know, <laughs> get your grill out, you know. No, no, that's not what he's saying. But th- there is a discernment that you need to have to say, you're just, you're just saying no, so the blood's not on me. Your blood's on you. I've, I've told you. I've told you. Um, and then lastly, I love this one, Luke 23, 8. Uh, remember when Jesus was standing before Pontius Pilate during, the, during his trial? And he had a conversation with Pilate, Right? You know, Pilate's saying, oh, you're a king then. And Jesus says, you know, you're right to say I'm a king. And Jesus said, you wouldn't have any authority over me unless it was given to you by God. So, you know, Pilate and Jesus had a conversation. Jesus and Herod didn't have a conversation. You ever notice that? When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he'd been waiting to see him. From what he'd heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. You want a miracle out of me? Forget it. And there was no response. Herod came at him as arrogant and seeking, perform a magic trick for us. 
And Jesus could see that into his heart. It's like, I'm not saying a word to you. Nothing. Which tells us, going back to point number four, you have to be able to identify who are dogs and who are pigs. Who are these dogs and pigs, right? That's a judgment call, isn't it? That's looking at somebody and not saying it out loud. You know, it's not like we go, you don't go up to people and say, well, you're a dog. You're a pig. You say, my father committed child abuse, you're a pig. You know, we don't do that. But you can look at people and in your own mind say, this person is scorning the gospel. They're trampling what is holy. They're trampling what is most important, the most important truth in the universe, and they're throwing it in the mud like a pig. Okay, I'm backing off. Have it your way, and we'll see what the judge says to you. I will pray that you'll receive it. I'll pray that you have a change of heart. I'll pray that God acts on you. But sometimes, Jesus is saying, sometimes we can get to the point and say, I'm not sharing the love of God with words to you anymore. I'm still going to love my enemies and do good to them. But as far as throwing the gospel at you again and again and again, I'm kind of done doing that. I've already done it. And you've made your decision. You've made it clear that you despise God. Okay. All right. I don't say, I'm not saying we should do that lightly. It's a pretty serious thing. But do you have anybody in your life that, that you've shared Christ with and they won't receive it, they're very antagonistic, and you just want to keep sharing it and keep pushing it? Well, application number four would suggest this. Maybe you don't do that because you're taking the holy gospel and you're pushing it onto people that want nothing to do with it. And they're taking what is holy and throwing it in the mud. I can't control what people do with the gospel when I share it, but if I already believe and I'm pretty sure that they're going to trample it once again, maybe I take that treasure, that pearl, and offer it to somebody else. Offer it to somebody else. Never stop sharing the gospel. Never stop sharing it with anyone and everyone. But there is a time to say, I've given you the pearl and you've said no. That's who a dog and a pig is. And yes, that is a judgment. Now, I want to close this up. I'm taking too much time. Maybe you're here and you've heard me say all these things and you have not yet asked Christ to forgive you. I want to offer you the pearl this morning. Romans 2.14 says, actually I'll do 2.12, All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. All who sin under the law will be judged by the law. And then he says, uh, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature the things required by the law, they're a law for themselves, even though they don't have the law since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience is also bearing witness, and their thoughts even now accusing, even now, accusing, now even defending them. Uh, Paul is saying, 
in Romans 2, 12 through 14, that even if you don't believe that this book is our source of morality, you still have a law written on your hearts. It's your conscience. You can be an atheist and have a moral code because you have a conscience. Here's the problem. You may know what's right and wrong, and you may believe you're a moral person, but God says you're not. Francis Schaeffer gave this example once. Maybe, maybe some of you have heard it. Imagine when you were born, we hung a tape recorder around your neck, and it played, it recorded all throughout your life, this tape recorder that's hanging around your neck. And it recorded every single time you said, well, he ought to do this. And she shouldn't have done that. Every time you made a moral judgment, every time you said the word he should or she shouldn't, it recorded it. And what if that tape was played for you on Judgment Day and you were just judged according to what you had said, the moral judgments you had made? How would it go for you? And we have to say it wouldn't go well at all. We would stand condemned, even if we didn't use this book at all. And Romans 2 kind of gets at that. If you sin apart from the law, you'll perish apart from the law because you still have it written on your heart. It's still here, and you've still violated it. So, friends, some of you are here and you've never accepted that. Can I give you an opportunity to respond? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes now? Jesus loves you. That's the pearl. He died on a cross for you to pay for all of your sins. And on judgment day, it will go well for you if you've received that forgiveness. Because the judge paid your price. And so maybe you've never even hardly looked at the morality of the Bible, but you know there's right and there's wrong, and you know you violated it based on your own admission. If that is you and you want to receive Christ's forgiveness and follow Him, if you want Him to be your Savior and your Lord, would you look up at me today and we will pray together. If that is you and you want to pray. All right, sir, I saw you. Anyone else? Anyone else? All right. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I admit that based on your Bible or based on even my own conscience, I know that I've failed, that I have sinned, and that you are right when you judge. So would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me? based on the fact that, Jesus, you've died on the cross for all of my sins. And would you help me now follow you all the days of my life? Thank you for treating me so graciously. Would you now help me treat other people graciously? In Jesus' name, amen.